the volume. Hey, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long, baby. And when you win, you get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Such a cool feature. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. How is everybody doing? Hopefully everybody is feeling good. I feel like spring is in the air and let me just say it's adding a little pep into my step. I love it. This is literally only my second year being back in winter after living in Vegas for the last six years. And let me tell you, these dark days bring on the freaking sunshine. Speaking of my guest today, Veda Scott. What a dream. This chick is just like such a good hang. I watch multiple different wrestling promotions, uh, wrestling shows, etc., etc., and John was doing, um, he was doing a show, maybe it was GCW or something. And Veda was on the call and I was like, who is this? She sounds so cool. Like just so insightful, obviously loves being there, like really wants to contribute. Like I just became like an instant fan. Um, and now I feel like anytime I see or hear Veda Scott is on the call, it draws me into wanting to like pay more attention. I feel like she just does like such a great job. Let's get her hired to a promotion full time in some capacity. I mean, they definitely have what it takes to bring it to the table, uh, you know, resume included, skill included, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I am co-signing officially. And I feel like you guys will feel the same, um, whether it's after this interview or listening to more of their calls, et cetera. Get on it. Do not miss any of it. So freaking good. Here is Veda Scott. Scott here on the sessions. I'm so excited to have you on. I have been um, a fan and admirer from afar. I feel like the first time I ever heard you on a call, I was like, wait, what's happening here? Who is this? They sound fantastic. So I'm really happy to have you on here. How you doing? What's going on? I am so pumped to be here. I am also a fan and I don't want that to be the whole session, <laughs> but it absolutely could be like I could just be fanning out the whole time. But uh, yeah, no, I am so pumped to be here. I'm so, so thrilled that you asked me to do it. 
independent of me being a fan of you, I am also a big fan of the podcast. So Yay! this is double Thank fun you. for me. Double whammy, everybody. Um, that's I mean, it's that's the best part about being able to have this podcast is just being able to like, who do I like? Who do I want to have cool conversations with? And you were somebody that I've, you know, I, I usually drop these kind of like lists of like, who do we get? Who can we have on? But then we got to actually meet each other just recently in Dayton. And I was like, let's make this happen. This needs to happen. So yeah, I'm super excited to finally have you on here. So you're in, you are in Philly right now? Technically, I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the Christmas city, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia. Wait, what's the Christmas city? What is that? What is that? The town is called Bethlehem and they really lean into the whole like little town of Bethlehem uh, thing. And on the mountain that like kind of highlights the whole town, there's a big uh, star of Bethlehem. Uh, it's a former Moravian settlement, which is uh, a religion that has uses star iconography pretty extensively. Um, we have Christmas markets. It's a whole thing. Cute. Oh, my gosh. How far is that from Cincinnati? Can I drive it? You can drive anywhere. <laughs> That's the one thing that a professional wrestler <laughs> will tell you. Yes, you can. Depends on how determined you are. But yes. So I'm trying to think. The last time I was in Cincinnati, honestly, uh, was for a wrestling show, but mostly to go to the zoo. Um, and that was, there. yeah, that's about nine hours, I would say. So it's Shout not, out to Fiona the Hippo. Oh, my God. And Fritz. He, and he's, Fritz. He's over 400 pounds. <laughs> I just saw that same video when they just weighed him. Um, what a little Seth. chunk. I didn't get, oh I have not gotten gosh. to see Fritz yet because the last time I was there, it was really cold. So the hippos weren't out. And of course I monitor this situation extensively. I did finally get to see Fiona though. So that was last year. Oh my God. They're so cute. We took Nora not that long ago. We went in the morning because when you have kids, you do shit in the morning hours. So we went and all of the animals were out. Everybody was there. So we got to see Fritz. We got to see Fiona and what they do on days. I don't know what the temperature has to be. It has to be pretty cold, but they do like a little penguin march. They take a lap with the penguins around the zoo. Oh my God. I haven't seen that in Cincinnati. The Pittsburgh Zoo, which is also a very good zoo, does a penguin penguin parade or whatever they call it there. But the, it has to be 45 degrees or more for the hippos to be outside. Listen, there's rules and regulations. <laughs> Keep everybody safe and warm or cold if they need to be. That's great. Okay, so you are in Bethlehem. Did you but you did you grow up in Rhode Island? Is that right? Uh that is a lie. I don't think I've ever completely discussed this anywhere. So, breaking news. I'm not actually from Rhode Island. Uh, essentially when I was coming up with my wrestling name and background and all of that, I needed a town to be from Philadelphia didn't work because I trained as a wrestler in the Philadelphia area and I was doing a lot of like bad guy stuff. So I didn't, I did Philly didn't work as a hometown because it was going to get cheered. So we were trying to come up with what I could do. And like New England has sort of like, um, I don't know, it has like a, a sort of remoteness to it, to people in Philadelphia. And in reality, I, I love Providence, Rhode Island. I, I spent uh, a bit of time there. Um, an ex of mine from college, my college girlfriend, lived in Rhode Island and worked in Rhode Island, worked at RISD. So I spent a lot of time there. I got to know the city. I got to know enough of the city that when people asked me about it, I could lie. But then it's very funny because I ended up living in Providence for real for several years. And I, I love Providence. I have since moved back to Pennsylvania. Now, Veda, did we get this from Veda Saltenfuss? Where does Veda come from? I just made John watch My Girl. He had never seen it before. I was like, do you feel like having a cry? Um, because I would like to put this movie on for us right now. 
Because, like, if you don't know going into it and you think it's just a cute movie about some cute little kids, <laughs> no. No, you're in for some trauma. It's funny because it ended and I go, wow, I, you know, I really just love a good coming of age. He's like, this is not a fucking coming of age movie. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. It's not. It is very traumatic. So, Veda, I don't. Let me think how much, how far back I should go. Uh, Let's so go I was, on a journey. I love going on the journey. Take me back. I was originally trained with what at the time was the, the Ring of Honor Wrestling Academy, which was in the Philadelphia area. It was in Bristol, Pennsylvania, which is where the original ROH offices were way back in the day. And uh, I had I was going to school in Philly. So when I decided to go to wrestling school, I was kind of limited in my choices where where I could go. Not limited in a bad way, but I like I couldn't I couldn't leave school for wrestling. Law school. It was law school. Yes. So I like absolutely could not leave school for professional wrestling. So I was fortunate because there were a bunch of really good schools in the Philly area. But when I started evaluating them, it looked like the ROH school would be the best choice. And that was mostly because of the trainers who were there, who at the time was Delirious, uh, who's the masked wrestler, and Daisy Hayes, who is an absolutely legendary female professional wrestler. And so I was like, okay, I want to train with Daisy. I want to train with Delirious. I went there and Daisy also was an extremely talented gear maker and just super creative. So is Delirious. And they kind of like helped me sculpt this persona to eventually start wrestling with. And uh, the gear was like very, it was houndstooth that Daisy kind of came up with this. Yeah, I will fuck with a houndstooth all day, every day. Love it. I wasn't sure, like, like I was so early for me to have like a character because I wasn't even wrestling, but like I wanted to talk. I knew I wanted to talk. Like I knew I wanted to do promos and things. And so we kind of like we were determining if I wanted to like lean into the the lawyer part of stuff. And I wasn't sure. Instead of DMD, we could have like what's like the lawyer acronym. It's a JD, which J- doesn't sound as good. <laughs> Okay. Or Esquire, I guess Esquire, maybe. ESQ. Oh, Esquire's good. Esquire's a good one, yeah. But uh, Daisy was kind of helping me come up with names and things. And we wanted to have it be a little bit unusual, but also maybe like a little bit annoying. Uh, and the name, the Veda, like that, that's like a little whiny. And, and, and I was, I love, like, I, I love language. I love words. I like that. I like the way that that sounded. I like the way it sounded with Scott. And so we went with that. But when I started to, I, and it started as V-A-D-A, like Veda, exactly like Veda Sultanfuss. Okay. But I didn't like the way that it looked. Like there was just something about, the, it just, it didn't pop for me. This was what was a cons- it wasn't Aesthetically, working. it was not there. Got so it. I, the vibe changed a little bit and it became V-E-D-A, Veda, Scott. Uh, and I, I, I was almost Olivia Scott for a Oh, while. Olivia can have uh, a good, like, Olivia can be a real bitchy name. Yeah, so that, well, and, and that's no we offense love you. to- We there, love there, all there, Olivias. Yes, I know many I Olivias. Beloved Olivias, but that it was almost Olivia Scott. It became Veda Scott for that same V. But yeah, it, it was just sort of like plucked out of nowhere. But Veda Sultanfos definitely was an inspiration. <laughs> And yeah, it was As part of be. it was part of my trainers just being really determined to um, get all of us footing in terms of like kind of figuring out who we were and then like being open to letting that evolve as we started to perform more, but like starting out with something because obviously Delirious is a full character. 
Like he is fully immersed in this. And that is part that translates to how he wrestles too. So that was sort of like that perspective. You're right. It's like, you don't want to kind of put the cart before the horse, but having a character while you're still kind of getting your sea legs, you're figuring out who you are as a wrestler and shit. I mean, how many people go through different gimmick changes and whatnot, but to have like a base and then evolve from there, what kind of things started to change as you were wrestling more? So when I first started, I, I kind of was just, it was a wrestler and I was terrible because I was brand new and I had the glasses as my entrance glasses, which I would then take off to wrestle, obviously. But the glasses were a huge part of the persona because I wear glasses in real life. I have forever. And the problem was, I guess I wasn't very creative with my look because I just looked like me. Um, And we decided that that would be like, okay, this is what your wrestling character is going to be. Um, And I, I started to, I got really fortunate early on to start to work for a couple independent promotions, uh, including ones in Ohio that allowed me to uh, put promos up on the internet and like get on the microphone and sort of flesh out this, like flesh out this persona, even if like in ring wise, I was like still very much figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out, but I was brand new and I was like, okay, the wrestling, I'm going to have to figure this out. But I can talk and I can try to give like do a character and I know that I can maybe connect with that or at least I can try. And so that's sort of what changed is that like originally the character was just me, but kind of like turned up a little bit like everyone says. And then as I started to spend more time, I started to get more involved with different other characters and different stories. And then through complete happenstance, I started to do the character at Ring of Honor, which I even though I went to the ROH wrestling school, I had no uh, I had no aspirations to ever work for Ring of Honor because it felt impossible. It was just not, it wasn't, that wasn't my goal because I didn't really have a goal. But as I started to do stuff with ROH, and this was, this was years ago, I started out as a backstage interviewer for ROH. It was kind of a blank canvas, you know, and just the wrestlers would kind of bounce off of me. And then Delirious got the idea to maybe have Veda have some inner, more like personal interactions. And then maybe they would introduce me as like, maybe a manager because we didn't do well there wasn't a lot of there was on and off women's wrestling in ring of honor at the time and they were starting to bring it back again and there was a character mischief who uh she screamed and she spit mist and she was like very very scary and what ended up happening with veda is veda was interviewing mischief who i think was mad about losing which is the, the typical wrestling thing and uh, she misted me and that was supposed to turn the switch for Veda to become an occasional wrestler in Ring of Honor. So that shifted a little bit. And now I was like, I was a good guy, wrestler, going for it, trying real hard. And it felt very strange for me. And like, it didn't click for me because I felt like when we started to do this whole, like, are you going to be a lawyer? What are you going to do? Like, it just, it felt, it felt a little artificial for me. And I was like trying my best, but I'm like, there's something missing here. I don't know what it is. And we got the idea to like turn me into a bad guy. I started to manage at first uh, Moose, who is now with Impact Wrestling. I started to work with, well, my actual, this is, this is true. My first client in Ring of Honor, uh, when I was like a full bad guy lawyer, was QT Marshall. Okay. QT Marshall or QT Marshall as he was at the time. <laughs> that yeah. was my first client. And that was the first time I got to do like a manager persona do promos and the character was like starting to really settle in and that's sort of the first big change then I would do things like um 
you know, negotiate like terrible contracts for my wrestlers opponents and, and that kind of stuff. So the lawyer aspect of it came in. I really enjoy managing. I thought it would be like a, like a stopgap, like a temporary thing. And I ended up loving it. That's always something that I kind of wish that I got to do a little bit of. Like, I think it would be really fun because there's something so special about the art of being a manager. And, you know, you can rattle off some of the names of the who's who's of people that have like really excelled at that. And God, they've like, it just looks like it's the most fun. Like, wait, you don't have to take any bumps for the most part. And like, you still get to be a character and you get to have fun. You get to be a part of the storylines. I love that shit. I got lucky. I worked with some really incredible people as a manager in Ring of Honor. Um, Cedric Alexander was like my my main client. And we had a really, really cool thing going on. Loved it. Was learning a lot. Got to work with so many people. Uh, because when you're managing too, like you're out there, you're getting to watch what's happening in the ring. Like Maria Canellis is like such a such an idol for me with that. Oh yeah, she, she's the shit. Right? She She's so Also brilliant. unsung hero. Like she's so fucking great. She's worn so many hats. She's had such an amazing career. And like the tenacity that is Maria Canellis and how hard she works. Like I'm always impressed by the work she does when she's like not at work, but then she shows up. She looks like a million bucks. She's always ready. She's not like, like she's just, she's great. I love Maria Canellis. I was so intimidated when she first came into Ring of Honor. We all were because like it's Maria off TV. She's ethereal, gorgeous, perfect. Best head of hair I've ever seen on a human being is Amaria Canales. All the time, all the time. And like, she turned out to be like the coolest, most down to earth, most encouraging, most helpful. And watching her in terms of like her managerial skills, she is so involved in every single match. And I'm not talking about the like spots and taking bumps part. I'm talking about the fact that like she's in there calling the match. She's part of the match. She's creative. She's just as much a part of the match as the actual wrestlers in the ring. Like if someone were to just like get zapped off the face of the earth, Maria could step in and finish the match. Like she's in it. She helped me a ton when I was doing commentary because a lot of times, and we'll get into this too, but if people don't want, like wrestlers don't want to give you notes on their match or they don't really have stuff to give you, she was always like, here's some story, here's some backstory, here's this, this is where we're going. Like she helped me out a ton in order of like helping to put together her matches with Mike. She's just so on it and her brain is just like constantly, constantly going. And so I was watching that and I'm like, okay, this is, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a manager, cause I was still, I was still wrestling outside of ring of honor, uh, but managing in ROH. I'm like, if this is what I'm going to do, I want to be like Maria. I'm not, I can't be Maria, but I can like take little bits of how she works and her work ethic. And just, I know that I'm certainly like exactly what you're saying. I'm certainly not alone in just like, oh, Maria, I idolize you. But Cedric ended up getting a huge opportunity. He left Ring of Honor. He did the Cruiserweight Classic. He fucking killed it. And he he went to WWE where he like is, it was this moment of just like, yeah. Not that we weren't all happy in our age, but it was like, yeah, like you need to be on the biggest stage possible. You have worked so hard. But that left me like literally without a client as if it was real. So we were like, who do you, what do you do now? And they were like, do you want to wrestle? And I was like, yeah. So I started to do more wrestling matches and I got to have a lot of really, really fun ones, but I missed the like character aspect of things because that just wasn't part of it so much anymore. It was kind of just matches. And, uh, on, on the independence, I was, you know, wrestling and I was trying to figure out like, okay, what is Veda now? Like, am I a wrestler? 
who manages sometimes. And then, oh, and also I was like very desperately attempting to do as much commentary as possible. Like literally just like, can I sit in for this match? Can I do this match? That sort of thing. And I just like the character just sort of was sort of floating out in space. And that was when I, I actually decided to leave Ring of Honor. I don't have any goals. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I am. I just feel like I'm feeling complacent. I'm feeling like I'm not being challenged. And that's not a negative to them or anyone there at all. You get in the weeds sometimes when you're like, who am I? What am I trying to do? Like sometimes you do need to take that step back just to like almost not like clean slate it, but just to be like, what what am I actually trying to achieve right now? Because I can be like that sometimes too. You take on so many different things that you're like, what am I doing again? It can be a little bit of a mind fuck. And like you're, you're just sort of like coasting. And I feel like with something like professional wrestling, whether it's the physical part of it or anything creative, really, once you start coasting, like you might as well not be doing it because it's not the way to be productive in any sort of creative outlet, performance outlet. And I just like, I I was getting to the point where I was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm dreading coming to work. Like, no, I loved what I was doing. I wasn't feeling challenged. I wasn't, I felt like there was more that I had to do more because we have such a limited window in performing and wrestling. Yeah. And if you feel like you're not like contributing the way that you want to contribute, can it's a very like unfulfilling feeling. Like I want to do more. I want to be a part of the shows. I want to help be like a bigger spoke in this wheel to make shit move along. Ring of Honor was kind of switching directions a little bit. And I felt like if I stayed what I was doing, it'd be safe. Sometimes safe is good, but it's usually not good when it comes to anything creative. So I happened to have the opportunity come up where I got to go to Japan for a little while. Oh, how was that? My favorite place in the world. How long were you there for? So I've gone five times, I think, usually for about a month or so, sometimes a little bit more. But I got this little opportunity to to go over. This was when I was still up with Ring of Honor and they didn't have, they have a partner, they had eventually a partnership with um, Stardom, but at the time they didn't really have anything set. So I, I was asked to come over with uh, Seedling, which is another wrestling promotion. Got to come over, got to stay, got to live for a while. And I was like, wait a second. I've been traveling around the country, you know, in the ring truck with Ring of Honor. And that's great. That's fun. But like, there's an opportunity for me to travel literally the world with professional wrestling. I can't not do this. And that was like, honestly, that was the big, like the switch flipped. And I, I sat down and I, I talked to people at, at ROH and I, I said, I can't, I have to try, like, I have to try something else. And I ended up, you know, not renewing the deal that I had. And I was like, okay, I hope this works out because yeah. taking I've been that like, leap can be scary, but like that's what makes us feel alive. Is like, how do we make this work? And then I ended up, you know, traveling around the country a little bit, doing some independence. And that summer, I coordinated a tour of England for myself, where I just went. I went to England for it was about three months, I think, with my now husband, uh, Mike Bailey, who we we decided that we. We wanted to go to Europe for a while and I couldn't have done anything like that when I was, you know, working for Ring of Honor because of the schedule and sometimes steady work is a good thing and other times it's not because you can't like do anything else. So now that I wasn't under the schedule, I went to England, I traveled around, I did all the touristy stuff and I did it for pro wrestling and it was like, okay, this is what I want to do for, for at least a while. I want to go everywhere I can. I want to wrestle everyone I can. I want to do everything that I can. 
because like, I'm not going to get another chance at this. I'm not. And that, that's kind of what happened. So I, I traveled for a few years. You're right. Having that steady paycheck and that knowing where you got to be and what the gig is like, that's awesome. But being able to just like be a little bit of like a vagabond and bounce around and experience life. And the fact that you got to do it with Mike as well is like so great. So cool that you guys could do that together. We had actually just started dating when we decided to go to England for three months. That'll put you through the test, right? Are we going to do this or not? It's one of those wrestling things where it's like, we don't even remember how we met because we've just been, we've like known each other for a long time, but we had just gotten into a relationship. The first like serious three months of us together was spent living in some guy's spare room in Rugeley in the Midlands <laughs> in England oh and, and just like hopping on buses, hopping on trains, hopping in people's cars to go to these shows. And it was the best. So like, yeah, that was one of the best experiences of my life was that first tour of just like, okay, wrestling can really do this for you. Um, okay, so since you've brought up Mike, let's get into some of the Mike stuff because, um, I mean, we we must. We have to. I want to know the origin story. So you guys were friends for a long time, then get together. What was that, like, first date like of passing that friend's threshold? So I should, as a little bit of background information on Mike, Spiebel Mike Bailey, Mike was actually unable to come to the United States for five years. I didn't know that until I started doing research on you. And then it led me to his. And I was like, wait, holy shit. So Mike has been wrestling for about, I want to say 16 years now, but started, he's not just Canadian, French Canadian. So <laughs> Which is like a whole other ball game of like, it's funny. I had that like written down on my notes, like French Canadian, Laval, Quebec, somebody from, from Quebec. French Canadian. It's it's a different it's a different type of person, man. I love it. It's a different world. As a first language, learned English later in life. Like started wrestling, started wrestling in in Montreal. Started wrestling in Quebec at a time when like wrestling in Canada in general, but specifically like wrestling in Quebec. Like there was no like there was no future in that. You just did it, and it was mostly like a bunch of old guys in, you know, a fire hall or whatever. And there was no like, there was no avenue to to success beyond that because, like, it's it's still there's still aspects of that, you know, as a Canadian, like, still aspects of that. We're like, you have to you're get just, to America. You have yeah, to get to America off. to work. Yes, it's very true. It's been fortunate that it's gotten a little bit better for some people just through like streaming and YouTube and the internet. But at the time, like, there was nothing. So uh, Mike and his older brother were just these two kids who were doing like all the flips, all the cool stuff. Mike has a back and, and his brother both have backgrounds in Taekwondo. Like they're doing all this cool shit and everyone hated it because it was like just a bunch of old dudes who were like, you know, what are these flips? Exactly. But they were like pretty determined that like this was this is where wrestling needs to go. And then what ended up happening was started to see a couple of people from Quebec specifically, but Canada sort of get success. El Generico, Kevin Steen, uh, you know, and Mike, you know, wrestles Kevin Steen. And that's like a big match that got some eyes and things start to happen. He started to do PWG and like, that's like, okay, this is, this is fucking happening. He's, you know, he's, he's wrestling Kenny Omega. Like it's, it's going to be big. And again, I didn't, I wasn't in wrestling yet at this point. So I didn't know him at all. When I started to wrestle, and started to be at shows in like the Jersey area, CZW. Uh, Mike was also doing CZW. So we we think that's probably where we met, but it's unclear. 
But somewhere in there, we meet, we start to become friends, you know, the way you become friends with people in wrestling. And uh, Mike ended up getting an uh, expedited removal, which is a, a situation at the border where they just say, you can't enter the country. We were friends at the time. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is, I can't even, like, I had emotions about it, but I wasn't like, it didn't affect me personally, but I was like, this is the worst thing that I could, I can't even imagine. So we started to talk about that and like how, how that was being dealt with. And obviously he was very upset, but was like, okay, I can't change this. I can't fix this. What can we do now? And I think that watching Mike sort of reorient their career is what made me be like, okay, this is a person that I need to have in my life more. He was able to do, he did a a tour with AAA in Mexico, and then he started to work for DDT in Japan, started to do more in Europe, started to keep wrestling in Canada. It was like this catastrophic, life-changing disaster was like a little blip. It was unbelievable. To anyone else, it would be so devastating. And to Mike, it was just like a new and pretty shitty, but new challenge. And like, how can I keep going? Because I've been doing this in relative obscurity for a long time. Then it started to get a little better. Now I'm totally fucked. How can I fix this? And I'm watching that 100%, watching the way that Mike adapted and handled this and just like overcame it and made him work harder and be more creative was honestly what made me say, okay, I cannot allow this person to not be in my life. We both ended up being, you know, out of relationships at the same time. And it was one of those moments where it's just like, I can't watch you with anyone else. And I was like, nope, this is it. We're doing it. And that's what happened. And then we just started to, uh, to travel together. And I just have been in absolute awe of Mike as a, as a person, but as a professional wrestler since that day, like unbelievable. I hope people, when they're listening, like understand what that's like, is when you are in Canada and you're so limited to what you can do, and especially on like the financial scale of like to get paid and there's only so many opportunities and to feel like you're finally getting some traction to cross the border, be told that you cannot enter this country for five years, five years when you are kind of entering like your prime is really horrifying. You're right. People would just say, this is a lot of work. I guess if I've got to go back to what like, you know, obscurity, whatever, that's when people just want to throw in the towel and not want to do it. So to be able to like dig deep and go, how can I work around this? I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to go to Mexico, keep wrestling in Canada. Like that says a lot about a human being to be able to pick themselves back up and go, okay, here we go. Let's ride out these five years. Where Mike is now as a performer is just such a different stratosphere than, than even, well, now it's about six years. But yeah, people ask all the time, like, what was it like, you know, doing long distance? And it's like, well, the long distance part we already knew about beforehand. Like we we embarked on this thing already knowing that we wouldn't be able to live in the same place for, for a long time. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. That's so did you go to Canada a ton then? I would go to Canada as much as I could. Obviously, I had to like pay my rent and things. So I had to be like working. So I started I started waiting tables again. And I happened to have like a really cool boss who would let me go for like two months because I'd be like, hey, I'm going to England for two months. And then Mike would coordinate so we could meet up and we would spend, you know, a little bit of time touring. I would try to come to Canada. But as you said, like there's just 
not as much going on in Canada for traveling wrestlers. There's more now, but we would just try to coordinate what we could. There would be many, many times where I would like drive up to Canada to do like one show in Toronto. We get to see each other for two hours and then I have to drive back home because I had to be at work. Oh my God, that makes my like heartbreak. That must have been so hard to like drive away from each other when like not seeing each other all the time. Oh my gosh. I'm not trying to like minimize that like, yes, there were difficulties, but like our relationship is the easiest thing in the world. Like it just is like we, we, we fit and we click and I, there's no one else that I'd rather spend my time with. So like, yeah, we, we, we figured it out. Uh, we, we got lucky too, that like, this was at a time, you know, when there's phones and we can text even, like, and we can FaceTime right. and yeah. So we got lucky with that. And then uh, the only the only time where it was like truly just granted, this wasn't the biggest problem happening in the world. But during uh, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, but during the height of the covid pandemic, the border was closed. Oh, yeah. No one was going anywhere. Yeah. So we didn't see each other for 10 months. We weren't married at the time. We just got married last May. Yeah. And there was no. Oh, thank you. There was no um, there was no provision for crossing the border for for a while. Um, like it was literally like parental relationships. Canada was not fucking around. Canada was like running a very tight ship. Yeah. And then when there there ended up being an exemption was made for like grandparents and people who had been in a, a long term relationship that you could prove we had to get like an affidavit. We had to get a notarized form. It was a whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. For me to get a, approved to potentially enter. And then there was like the testing requirements, the quarantine, all of that. But yeah, it was it was 10 months without us getting to see each other and just like green screening each other into our our uh, like Twitch streams oh. so we could hang out with people. <laughs> oh my God. OK, so you get through those 10 months of not being able to see each other in quarantine and COVID and all that craziness. Was it then that you're like, let's get married. It's time. We've gone through the hurdles. We've been in the you guys did the dark days. Yeah, it was it was along the lines of like we we knew that this was the direction we were headed. And like I both of us felt the same in terms of like marriage that it was like, uh, give like take it or leave it. Like it wasn't super important to us. But and I'm sure you can relate to this because of, you know, the immigration status, it became more of a necessity. Yeah, I'm always so sympathetic to like any kind of visas, green cards, all that stuff, because I know just what a nightmare it can be. It's funny. I remember early on when John and I were dating and I was on an O-1 visa and I got all my stuff through WWE. They were really great. At, they got all that stuff for me. They were awesome about it. But the first time I applied for my green card, it got denied. And I was like, what? Didn't happen. And John and I were not married at the time. And he was like, oh, I guess you're going to have to marry me. And he kept making jokes about it, which made me like so sad. I'm like, it's not funny. Um, and then, you know, we got married after that anyways. But uh, I, I got my green card. We got married after that. And then I was able to become a citizen three years after we got married. So, yeah, it's, it's a whole it's, it's been 10, 11 years now that I've been living in the United States, something like that. It's a long process. It's gnarly. It's a very long process. And it's it's a process where you have so little control over what is happening at any time. It's just a mystery process. Um, but it's it's scary because it is, again, so just out of your control. And like you can do everything, all the paperwork right. And and it's still like you said, you can still get denied. And you're like, I don't I don't know. Um, so we we decided like, OK, we should get married just in case. Also, if there's any sort of like issues again with the border, I'll be able to to cross more easily, that sort of thing. So, yeah, we um, we we got engaged 
when I was able to finally cross the border after the 10 months. And then we got married uh, last May. Yay. Oh, I love that. So cool. So happy for you guys. Um, And that brings me to my next question of you on commentary, calling his matches. What is that experience like for you? And how do you kind of pivot between wife to commentator and where like you fall in between like that area in between? I have realized that at times I have been guilty of going like some people are like, are you like on commentary? You're really biased towards Mike. And you're just like, I realize that sometimes I'm so conscious of not doing that, that I go in the other direction, but it's great because we have a very uh, collaborative relationship in terms of like our creative process, our wrestling process. Like we're constantly watching wrestling, talking about wrestling. So when Mike is going to wrestle, uh, like I already know the match, even if he hadn't told me the match, which we've gone over it or like figured it out together. I already know it because like, I know his work. I know what they do. I know all of it. And that is really helpful as a commentator because I kind of like know the the different like directions that we're going to go here. And so for me, it's not as difficult only because I'm so like already locked in to like the Mike Bailey match. I know what's going on. I can immerse myself and I feel really knowledgeable about what's happening. The only time I get ever like nervous or anxious about some of the stuff that Mike does because it some of it is unhinged wrestling behavior. Even just like, I know you weren't on the call for it, but watching the stuff in like X Division, like when they're like some of those matches they've had are like, oh my God, my butthole's puckered. Like, holy shit. He also doesn't wear shoes. Um, so that's like a factor sometimes with like sharp things and concrete. Um, the only time I, I never get anxious while I'm on commentary. So it's probably better for me that I'm calling Mike's matches because I'm like, I'm doing my job. I'm in that zone. Sometimes when I'm just watching is where I'll get like, I'll feel myself having that like little bit of anxiety that I have for like literally everyone else in wrestling. But yeah, he's talented. I trust him. He's good at what he does. And I'm just, I'm a fan too. So yeah, no, I know. I mean, literally exact same. I mean, anytime I had called some of John's stuff and you're right, it's like the familiarity of who they are, what their character is, what their movesets are. But yeah, sometimes, yeah, just falling between like, am I calling this as his wife or am I calling it as a wrestling commentator? What is that fine line? The midway point of the NBA season is here and now is a perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash Renee. That's FanDuel.com slash Renee, R-E-N-E-E, to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 
Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Okay, so let's talk about you doing commentary because I really think that you're fucking exceptional at it. You do a great job. You just have authority. You have knowledge. Um, your, your tone of your voice even sounds great. So when did you realize that that was something that you wanted to dabble in? I mean, you said that you would sit in on matches, kind of focus on it, and you wanted to talk a lot, obviously coming from uh, a managerial background, doing backstage interviews, et cetera, et cetera, to then being like, you know what, maybe a seat at the commentary table is where I want to be. So in Ring of Honor, I would do commentary here and there, particularly like when it worked for an angle or if it was a Women of Honor match, like maybe I would sit on commentary. So that was a great experience. That was early on. I started to do uh, commentary as well for Shimmer, which is big women's wrestling promotion in the States. Uh, We would do the commentary most of the time in post-production. So I would come and just call. That's a weird process, hey? To not actually be in it and you're calling it from a booth is like to keep your energy up is a really weird. It's bizarre. I was there for the show. I wrestled on the show. Like I know what happened. We would do a thing where like like my, my match would come on. I would just like leave the table to go. And it's like, no, it's three months later, guys. You know this. That was great experience for me. And I started to do that there. And I was like, okay. This is really fun. It's kind of like a little bit like a long promo. And I was doing like very more more character-based stuff because I was involved in these promotions like as a persona. But then over time, I started to get asked to do some commentary places that like I wasn't already working or I wasn't like a character. And I started to shift more into like more of a straight broadcaster role. And I was like, oh, wait, I like this. This is what I like. This is, this is what I want to do. And what really made the shift, I was doing commentary all over the place here and there, or like anytime I would have like an injury, maybe I couldn't wrestle. I would do commentary and I was like, okay, this is, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then, um, COVID happened and I stopped wrestling, stopped doing anything. And I didn't know when I was going to perform again, because like, it seemed unimportant. And I actually got, that was when I got the, uh, contacted to do the AEW, the women's tag team tournament that they did a few years ago. And I got asked to do commentary for that. Who were you on the call with for that? For the actual tournament, I was with Tony Schiavone, who I literally had never met Tony before a couple like hours before we called these matches. And just to speak to like what a absolute fucking professional Tony is, there were so many people that after I did this first round of, of it was on YouTube. Um, so it was like in the same format as dark is now. And we, they were also doing dark, but it was all on YouTube. But some people will be like, wow, you and Tony, like you have a really good banter. Like you're really getting along. Like you guys, like, like we knew each other, but no, I had literally just met him. That is what a professional he is that like, he can just slide in there. And I'm sitting there next to Tony Schiavone, who I have been a fan of since I was, I'm not going to age myself since, for a long time. Uh, <laughs> You know, I used to watch on on Nitro and like he's there, he's doing his thing. I'm trying to do my thing and I'm just like trying to just absorb and learn as much as possible because I'm like, fuck, I have to learn how to do this like on the job. I need to learn this now. I'm on a headset. Like I've been I've done been on a headset before I'd had that, but not that level of just like broadcasting, because in the end, even when we were live for like ROH or whatever, it was still a much smaller production or when I'm doing like a streaming thing, like we'll figure it out. It's fine. 
it's different when you start to have someone in your ear and you're hitting certain times, you've got graphic reads you need to hit. You've, you know, there's so many different moving parts in that. That's like, follow the script, but call the match, look at your monitor. Like there's just so much happening. Oh my God. Yeah. I've been just like, I'm just like, okay, I gotta, you just gotta, you gotta be doing what you're doing, but also you need to learn this on the job right now. Like, do not fuck this up. Do not fuck this up. So Tony and I did the the tournament, which was as an aside, just the coolest freaking thing for me, because so many of the women that were in that tag tournament, whether they were signed with AEW or ended up being signed or just had that opportunity were, were women that I had known for so many years and just watched just grind for so long. And then to see them get this huge opportunity and like me to even get to be a small part of that was so freaking cool. Like to just be there to, to just watch them excel and then to even get to like call their matches like I would just the whole time I was just like so proud of all of them something really cool happens and there's this really cool energy when women's wrestling is put on in like a successful way I mean even like my time in WWE and we were doing the Mae Young Classic and bringing in girls from different backgrounds and girls from different wrestling promotions and putting on these awesome matches in like being able to work with Beth Phoenix for like for me to, and her to be able to jump on commentary together for that was amazing and meeting girls that I had never met but I had heard of there's just something really really cool that happens during those moments and I think everyone just really gets to shine everyone's working together to like make the product as great as possible to make women's wrestling shine on this platform something really cool happens during that it's really fun to be a part of you know whether you worked up through the independence or you know you went through developmental or whatever, you realize that not as much time in general is being devoted to women's wrestling. So every time that there is a spotlight on it, we understand that like, this is fucking important. And like, we need to just go out here, show out, show how great everything is. And like, just take, this is to go aside from the commentary thing. Sometimes I look back and I talked about doing shimmer and I talked about doing like their a decade ago, decade and a half ago, women were wrestling in America. Again, this is just, I'm just talking about North America. Obviously, Joshi Pro Wrestling, et cetera, has been excelling forever. But in America, the spotlight was not on women's wrestling. And there were these women who were just grinding and grinding and grinding. I mean, treated like garbage all the time. And there's a very large and predominant group of people now who are like, that's bullshit. We're not doing that anymore. And it's so great to be part of that, like, Now there are people who are coming up who are new, who are just a few years in. And like so many of us are like very protective of that and are like, you will not get shoved out of wrestling by garbage people. Like, come here, come to us. That whole mentality of like, well, it sucked for me. So now it's going to suck for you is gross and disgusting. And I feel like there were moments early on where like I felt myself getting like hardened and embittered and like almost lashing out in that direction. And I'm really lucky that I have some really great friends and people in and out of wrestling who were like, didn't allow me to fully get like shitty. I don't know how else to put it. And those things like the women's tag tournament, things like, you know, the women's division, women's promotions or any, and just promotions that are focusing on people who have, you know, have a history of being marginalized, not, not just women, but are cropping up to just take these opportunities and just do our own thing. But yeah, so we did the tag tournament and um, it was me and, and Tony Schiavone and just an incredible experience of just me trying to learn as much as possible and Tony just being 
so helpful and so encouraging and just teaching me and answering my questions. And uh, the tournament was a, a couple weeks on YouTube. So we filmed that in blocks. This was at the time for the Jacksonville tapings. So they were doing, I think it was two, like two weeks of tapings and then a week off and then two weeks. So it was like every other week or something. So I came in for the two days we did that. Then I got asked um, to come back the following set of tapings because that was going to be the finals. And I've said this before, but I like it didn't it hadn't like computed with me that like I was going to do the, the finals of this tag tournament, which were going to be on Dynamite. Like that didn't click until it was actually it was Tony Khan stopped me as I was leaving to make sure that I was like, OK, to come back for next time. And I was like, yeah, like I'll I'll start walking as soon as I get <laughs> home. But it hadn't like fully computed with me that like the finals are going to be on Dynamite and you're going to call the finals on television on dynamite so i got to call the finals of the tournament alongside i believe it was taz and tony and jr and we called the finals of the tournament we ta- it was pre-taped but it was on dynamite and that was just like i am sitting here surrounded by these absolute legends i'm here don't mess this up, please, Veda. Just like be like, just be adequate. <laughs> you don't even have to excel. Just be fine. And I had it was it was it's like a blur, but it was just so that was the moment that it clicked for me. That second set of tapings where I did the dynamite taping. And then I also got asked to do dark. And then I came back a subsequent set of tapings to do dark with uh, Excalibur and Taz. And doing those dark tapings and doing that final on Dynamite was where I was like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. That little outing with AEW legitimately like changed my whole fucking life. What goes into your prep to get ready? I mean, I I guess like using that, the finals as like an example, you knew what you were going to be calling, you knew who was going to be in there. What all do you put together to feel prepared to go out to call a match for a show? First of all, like I watch as much as I possibly can for like whatever, whatever I'm going to be calling, like background on the wrestlers or the show itself. When I knew that I was going to call Dark, I just like fanatically watched again the like last six weeks of Dark or something. And then I try to research as much as I can about the wrestlers if if I can, like if I know who's going to be in the matches. And then also just you kind of mentioned this with Maria, just talking to the people who are in the matches, if at all possible, like. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes things are kind of coming together quickly or like you can't get your hands on people. When I'm on independent shows, I literally say to people like, I know you don't have everything put together, but please like DM me any notes that you have. Like our whole job is to narrate the story and smooth out the mistakes that happen in the ring. And it's my job, I feel, to just like put all the wrestlers in the best light possible and get over their shit. So for me, the more, and also I'm a person who like is a nerd and likes information and I am comforted by having information. Are you an over-preparer? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. If I have like a million, yeah, I, (laughs) I a lot of times would go out and I would have like sheets and sheets and sheets of information on people, but then I'm, I'm an over-preparer, but I'm not very organized. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd be out there and go, fuck, I knew I put something down good for this person. I had this specific line I wanted to get. And where did I put that fucking paper? It's in your head somewhere. It's rattling around in there. It'll come back out. Yeah. Put that red light on and it'll show up. I promise. Or I'll make it up. (laughs) And for me, and this is like, again, like the nerdiest thing, but like I, I said this before, like I love words. I love storytelling. I'm a writer. My undergraduate background is in English literature and drama. 
And so like, I really like just weaving words into a story. And the fact that I get to talk for three hours and try to like tell these stories and like put these pieces together, it's such a challenge and it's the most fun. And it's really cool when wrestlers want to work with the announcers like you said with maria when they when they want to provide information so that we can kind of work together because in the end like it's the same as like a referee like there's all of these components come together to like make the match and it it bothers me when i'll be watching wrestling and i hear a commentator like kind of criticizing what's happening in front of the like like it's it's live it's very dangerous live athletic entertainment and mistakes happen all the time and there are like ways for us to fix that and as a wrestler who makes lots and lots of mistakes and appreciates when people fix them for me on commentary I I guess I'm kind of sensitive to that we're not there to point out flaws we're there to try yeah you're there to protect everybody trying to bury somebody for you know a move that maybe was missed or you know some kind of awkwardness that went down in the ring that's it's not helping anybody out yeah and it's like we're all like integral pieces to telling this story. And in the end, the commentary is the narration for the audience who's watching at home. So all the pieces need to come together. And if the narration doesn't fit with the action, then there's a disconnect and it's not as entertaining. And I also think just like wrestling in general is so based upon being able to trust each other in the ring. You're supposed to trust each other doing, you know, live stuff on television, whether it's doing a promo or doing an interview or whatever. You should be able to trust your commentators as well to, to have your best interests at heart. I've talked to so many people about this and it's an issue like more on the independent scene and it's become less of an issue, fortunately. But like, there's so many times where like you go out there and you fucking kill it. You're wrestling and you're like this match. It's, we got it. We're in the zone. It's great. And you go back to watch it. And the commentary is atrocious. That was my ultimate fear that I'm like, do not like calling a WrestleMania and being like, don't fuck this up. What? Like, Oh, my God, the pressure to, like, not drop the ball. Well, like, and also the pressure to, like, not drop a homophobic slur or whatever. Like, there's so many times where, like, you go back and you watch things and it's like the commentators are being, like, sexist and, like, gross. And it used to be more of an issue. But there are that 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 sinking feeling of, oh, well, this footage is now unusable. I was really proud of this match. I can't send it anywhere. And I think about that so often that, like, especially on the independents, like we're calling these matches, the wrestlers are literally risking their lives and what comes out of it, they may want to, I don't know, share their hard work. And like, I feel a personal responsibility to have my commentary be like not embarrassing to people is a big part of (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. Not ruin the hard work that they have done. Um, Okay, all these things being said, we covered plenty of things during this interview. I know a big thing you've posted on your social media a few times. I've taken note of it. You need to be hired full time, whether it's on commentary, doing interviews, being a a personality for any wrestling company. This needs to happen. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how that happens, but I am co-signing on this. I mean, I just I think you're really, really great. You just bring so much to the table. Um, And I think having your voice, having your narration during matches, the care that you put into your work um, is really, really great. So I think you're the best. I like I words are my job and I have none. Okay, Uh, yeah, I just I really, really appreciate that. Um, Like you said, I've, I've mentioned that that is I went into wrestling with no goals just to kind of like 
see what what happened. And uh, since I started to do more announcing and more broadcasting, that became my goal to do more. And then once I started to really understand how productive and how fulfilled you can be doing announcing or interviewing or whatever with like a, on a set roster or a set program, like the promotions that I work for every single month on the independence and like watching these people grow and getting to know what they do and like sinking in with these different wrestlers, the other commentators I work with that became like, okay, this is what I want. I want to do pro wrestling broadcasting full time in a way that like, I can really just like sink my teeth into what I'm doing and like be, I want to be like, be part of a team, be part of like this, like we talked about this whole, just it's all elements that come together to make a production. And I don't know, like, I just, that's just where I've gotten to be. Like, obviously there's the career security part of it. Like, like daddy wants a job in general, (laughs) but I, I think that just as an announcer, there's, there's just something to be said about, you know, getting to, talk about the progression of people and getting to be like part of their journey. Listen, I don't know what all the plans are for Ring of Honor that Tony's going to do. I mean, that seems to me like it should be a little bit of at least a conversation. I am so excited to see what happens with Ring of Honor because again, like that was my home for so long and I feel good about the direction things are going. I'm very excited for a lot of the people who are involved. Would I love to be involved? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm really excited to see that like how things seem to be coming together. Uh I feel like ROH is always gonna be my home to a certain degree. Like I that's where I got started. And I can't there's so many people who will come up to me and be like, Oh, I really miss seeing you on ROH. And it's been like, Well, it's been five years, so maybe you should watch more recent product. That's fine though. <laughs> but but it's it's true. Like I have a connection to it. And there's still so many people who are like, I, you know, I really loved you on dark. And again, that was three years ago. And the fact that people still remember it is like, it's a compliment to me. And it's also just completely unbelievable. But, but yeah, it's like, it just shows that like when, when people put faith in you and like give you an opportunity, it's your responsibility to like reward that trust and reward that faith. I think. Um, Okay. Final question to you. If you were to get the call, to do commentary for Ring of Honor and you were putting together your own commentary team, who would be on that call with you? So truly, this is going to seem like a cop-out, but Ian and Caprice are so good. I have worked with Ian pretty extensively. Most recently, we called uh, uh, the Super Show at WrestleMania weekend last year in Dallas. And it was so nice to be back there with him because I remember when we both kind of started in ROH at the same time, he ended up staying, and he's actually from the Lehigh Valley as well. We are neighbors. Um, and he is just, he's so great um, in terms of that, like very professional, like there's a, there's a sound and a, and a look and all of that. And he just like nails it all, but is still himself, not in an artificial way. And then Caprice is just so good at color and just adding his own little personality to things. And Caprice is someone who I've known for years, knew as a wrestler, watching him transition into commentary. So again, it feels like a, it feels like a freaking cop out. I know that, but they're just so good. And they know, they know Ring of Honor. They have, you know, they have the history there. And I think that that's pretty cool. Well, Veda, I'm so happy I got to have you on here. Really excited for, for what the future could possibly hold for you. And um, yeah, if you ever need a, a reference letter, you need me to make a call, let your girl know. I appreciate that so, so much. 
A big thank you to Veda for hanging out with me. Much appreciated. Um, just so fun. So cool. Glad that we finally got to meet in person recently, too. AEW was out in Dayton, and Veda was there. I was Speedball Mike Bailey, so I, I had not met him either. So it was nice to be able to, I mean, I've been able to see their faces, but to put, you can't say faces to names. I know what their faces look like. Anyways, you catch my drift. You catch my drift. Um, AMP. Have you guys heard of AMP? Um, We are on AMP. Download that because we are on there Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Maybe it's 8.30. Emilio? I'm going to give you both options to use. Catch us on AMP at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Catch us on AMP at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Is he going to keep this in the edit? Who could really say? Until next time, guys, this has been The Sessions.